The Vision app is the best place to find a growing range of on-demand audio for the whole family. Your kids or grandkids can listen to the popular radio drama Adventures in Odyssey and two-minute Bible stories called Quick Sticks whenever it suits you. Whether you're in the car for a few minutes or for a longer trip, these two programs will keep the kids entertained. New episodes are added every weekday in the free Vision Christian Media app. If you don't already have the app on your smartphone or tablet, download it now from vision.org.au slash app. Vision.org.au slash app. Vision. Realfaith.org.au Second day, I go up a really steep section of track and then I get to this section looking down and I'm thinking, golly, where am I going to put my feet? It is really steep and sandy. Before I even take a step, um, tumbling head over heel down this steep track, fell about three or four metres, landed on my back, and I'm feeling really shaken up. Welcome to Real Faith, conversations about the impact faith has on our lives and the challenges we go through, helping us today and giving us hope for tomorrow. That's real people, real life, and real faith with Eric Scadabo. Dr. Amanda Nixon is the author of the book, Living by Faith, How the Impossible Becomes Possible with God. And in her book, she shares some remarkable stories of how God did what seemed to be impossible in her life, including walking over 20 kilometers with an unstable neck fracture. We'll hear about that and more as Amanda shares her story with us today. Dr. Amanda Nixon, welcome to the program. Great to be here, Eric. Glad to have you with us. And we want to find out about some of these seemingly impossible things that happened to you in your life. But first, let's find out a little bit about your background. Where were you born and raised? So I was born in Sydney at Royal North Shore Hospital, actually, in St. Leonard's. And I grew up in Sydney with my parents, my sister. um, And I had a great childhood going to a school where music was really encouraged. And I um, was involved in lots of musical activities. So pretty positive. Uh, Some challenges as far as reading? Yes, I did struggle from dyslexia and had a lot of difficulty spelling and difficulty reading and writing. Mm -hmm. Um, In fact, my parents changed me from a public school to a private Christian school in grade two because I was struggling so much with that reading. I'm the sort of person that when you did a spelling test of 20 words, I'd get two out of 20 correct and 18 out of 20 wrong, despite spending a lot of time the night before practicing words, being tested by my mum, all that sort of stuff. Wow, that must have been frustrating. Yeah, quite a struggle, quite a struggle. But yet, as we just heard in the introduction, your doctor, Amanda Nixon. So obviously you overcame that, but we'll talk about that a little bit later. Let's go back to your childhood. When did you become a Christian? So in my teenage years, I was going to a youth group and I really could see that the leaders had a peace and a purpose. And I thought, wow, I want what they have. Mm -hmm. And just ask them about how do you have this peace? How do you have this purpose in your life? And they explained that Christianity was about having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And I thought, well, I want that. And so I made a commitment, asked Jesus to be my saviour and have had a very, very strong faith ever since that time. I found God was the one person I could truly rely on because 
when my parents separated and later divorced, I thought, well, people can let you down, but God was the constant in my life. Mm -hmm. And then when you went to university, your faith had a role in what you decided to study. Is that right? Absolutely. After my parents separated, my mother went back to her profession, which was social work. Mm -hmm. And I didn't even know that she was a social worker. I'd never heard of social work. Mm -hmm. And the more I found out about it, I thought, wow, there's a job where you can actually be helping people and showing compassion on a daily basis. And I thought that just fitted in so well with my Christian beliefs. And I wanted to be able to serve people, help people that were in need. Mm -hmm. And so I chose to follow a career in social work. So as a young adult, you're strong in your faith. What happened next in your life? So I went to university, the University of New South Wales, and did social work, started working for Borkham Hills Shire Council as a project officer doing community development. But after a couple of years, I went on a holiday to Queensland with another social worker, and we were camping on Fraser Island. Mm -hmm. And I met this really nice fellow who was a Queenslander mm -hmm. who also had a very strong faith. He was, in fact, witnessing to some of the other campers, and I thought, oh, that's interesting. This huh. person's really keen to share his faith. Yeah. And we soon worked out we were both interested in each other, strong in our faith. Daryl, who became my husband, um, had aspirations to go into ministry, and I thought, oh, I could see myself doing that, being in ministry, and um, he went back to Emerald, and I went back to Sydney. Yeah, I was going to say... It sounds like a, a wonderful relationship, but you live in another state. You were just there on holiday. That's it. So we started a long-distance romance, mm -hmm. which in those days, there's no email, there's no yeah, yeah, right. mobile phones. <laughs> that meant writing physical letters once a week and a phone call every Sunday. Oh, wow. Um, and I decided after a few months, I might look for a job in Queensland, thinking even if I could get something in Brisbane, that would be closer than Sydney and I'd mm -hmm. be able to see him. Yeah. So the first week I looked in the Sydney Morning Herald, they had a job for a social worker in a town called Dysart. I'd never heard of Dysart, but it was set in the ad. It's three and a half hours northwest of Rockhampton. And I knew my husband, or well, Daryl at that time was living in Emerald, which was three hours west of Rockhampton. Mm -hmm. And I figured, wow, that must be nearby. So I applied for that job and got it. And as they say, the rest is history. Right. Daryl proposed <laughs> before I even moved. And um, yes, yeah, so I married a Queenslander. Okay. So that takes us up to your young adult years being married. And then of course, naturally, most couples have children. But uh, there was a challenge on your part. Is that right? Yeah, there was actually. Both sides of our family had quite significant mental health issues. And I have a sister who has um, a serious mental health condition. And at one stage when my mother was having surgery and I was with her in the hospital, right before she went into surgery, she said to me, Amanda, never have children. And I thought, wow, wow. you know, she's chosen to say that because yeah. I think she was thinking, well, if I don't come out of surgery, this is really important, I need to tell you. And I knew that was based on her belief that mental health has a large genetic component. Mm -hmm. There's that whole debate about whether it's environment or whether it's genetic. Mm -hmm. 
And so for a number of years, I had absolutely no desire to have children. And of course, I'd mentioned this to Daryl when we were courting and he wasn't worried. Like he, he was hoping we'd have children, but he respected if that's where I am. Mm-hmm. He respected that. I think he just thought I'd change my mind over time. And so as time went on, I'm thinking, oh, God, do I really trust you? Because I worked out having children is like a step of faith Mm -hmm. because God is the creator of biology, of genetics. God is bigger than all of that. And so to me, it was like taking another step of faith that I decided I will have a child because I trust that God has got my child's future, that Mm -hmm. he'll look after everything to do with the child that I have. And in fact, I've got three beautiful now adult children, but that was quite a journey to get to the point of enough faith to Mm -hmm. decide to have a child. And God helped you in raising them and they had healthy childhoods? Yes, three beautiful, healthy children. I have two girls and one boy who are all great kids. Okay, now let's go to an incident in their childhood when your children were on a boat. Tell us what happened. Yes, so... Um, My husband and I and our three young children, this would have been in 1999 when Jess, my eldest, was eight, Danielle was five years old and my son Tim was two years old Mm -hmm. and we'd been camping for a couple of days on a little island in North Queensland called Gould Island Mm -hmm. and it's one of these places you can get a ferry over to the island, it can drop you off. But to camp there, it's a national park, the ferry service wouldn't allow you to take your camping gear. They insisted, well, you'll have to have your own boat to carry the camping gear. We've mm-hmm. got limited space. Yeah. So my husband had a little dinghy, took the camping gear over. We've had a wonderful couple of days looking at starfish, looking at lizards, all the things <laughs> you do. Yeah. Coming back, my husband's about to go back with all the gear in the dinghy and he says, oh, how about the two girls come with me? We put on their life jackets. Off they go. It's a really calm sort of mid-afternoon and I'm just waiting on the island with my two-year-old son for the ferry to pick up me and Tim. I'm just sitting there reading and then I get this really urgent prompting by the Holy Spirit, pray for Daryl and the girls, pray for their safety. And I'm thinking, oh, that's a bit weird. I don't normally get these sorts of promptings and I thought I must be just imagining But then I got it again, you know, Mm -hmm. pray now for their safety, pray for your girls, pray for Daryl. So I'm praying quite fervently, thinking, gee, what's going on? To me, it's still looking like perfectly calm, beautiful afternoon, but I pray because I'm obedient. I'm thinking, okay, God, if something's going on, I want them to be safe. Mm -hmm. And then when the ferry picks me up, I just hop on with Tim and I'm taking my seat and the captain comes over and says, oh, has your husband got a boat? And I'm like, yes, he's got a little dinghy. And what colour is it? And I'm like, oh, it's just one of those little silver dinghy. Mm -hmm. They're like, do you know the registration? And I'm like, no, I don't know Mm -hmm. the registration. He finally says, well, you know, we've had a distress call from, we think your husband in this boat, it's upturned, we've got national parks out looking police rescue, coast guard, all these people are looking for the boat. Just a thing you don't want to hear as a parent. No. And I'm thinking, okay, we're 17 kilometres from the mainland. That's a lot of water. 
that they could be somewhere in. Yeah. So he's even asking passengers to keep an eye out for this boat, and I'm thinking, oh, my goodness. So I'm praying even more now that I'm in this ferry going back to Cardwell. When we get back to the jetty, lined up, there's police, fire, brigade, ambulance, media, all these people on the jetty, and I'm thinking, oh, my goodness. Um, But when I get to the jetty, I found out that the National Parks vessel has just found them and that they're on their way in. Apparently, they've been like, a freak wave at a weird angle that just swamped the boat mm. and then flipped it over. Yeah. So my husband and the two girls are in the middle of the Hinchinbrook Channel and camping. This is, you know, 1999. My husband had brought this mobile phone that's a bit like a brick, you know, those big old <laughs> yeah, yeah. phones. The early days of mobile phones. Yeah. And we've been camping for two days, so there's no way to charge it. Oh. Um He's had it in a lunchbox in the boat and he sees it sort of floating past when the boat's upside down, grabs the phone, it's got like half a bar left, makes a triple zero call, gets through to triple zero and they're like, you know, police, fire or ambulance. And he's like, I don't know, I'm in the middle of the ocean. (laughs) Um, Wow. Yeah, but they figured it out. And the ambulance checked over the two girls who had... Mild hypothermia, but otherwise no other injury. Mm. And when I was talking to the police when we're on the jetty, they're saying, you know, you realise finding an upturned boat in a stretch of 17 kilometres of a channel of water is like looking for a needle in a haystack. It's impossible. Mm. Yeah. And I just thought, okay, no, it's not impossible with God. Amen. And that's why God had prompted me to pray to keep them safe and yeah they were fine but i just you know give all the glory to god that through his means they were able to be found and brought back to safety our guest today is dr amanda nixon who's sharing her life journey with us and some remarkable stories of how god did what seemed to be impossible in her life Next, we'll hear about the time she walked over 20 kilometers with an unstable neck fracture. All that more is coming up when we return right here on Real Faith. The Word for Today is Australia's most widely read daily devotional, designed to give you practical teaching to keep you focused on your relationship with Jesus. Read it online or subscribe to the free printed edition at thewordfortoday.com.au. You're listening to Real Faith, conversations with real people about how God works in their lives. If you want to know more about integrating faith into your life, our website is realfaith.org.au. Just go to the website and you'll find helpful articles about the impact faith can have on your life. Once again, that's realfaith.org.au. Welcome back. I'm Eric Scadbo, and today I'm chatting with Amanda Nixon, who's the author of the book, Living by Faith, How the Impossible Becomes Possible with God. Before the break, we heard how her husband and children nearly died in a boating accident. Next, we're going to hear about the time she miraculously went for a hike, completely unaware that she had an unstable neck fracture from a fall. Amanda explains what happened. In 2010, my husband and I and two other couples, so there were six of us, had decided to do a hike on the Thorsbourne Track on Mm -hmm. Hinchinbrook Island. 
It's a fairly remote walk. You arrive by boat, walk for five days. Wow, you have a lot of adventures, it sounds like. <laughs> yeah, I love I love national parks and nature. I yeah. feel really close to God in those places uh-huh. and, and just love being able to see that sort of beauty. Mm-hmm. So the plan with this walk was we'd get a bit fit and also catch up with friends that lived interstate. So mm-hmm. they'd come up for the trip. We'd done lots of planning, you know, you weigh all your food, everything in your pack. So I'm carrying a 14-kilo pack and we have a beautiful first day, pristine. It's, you know, gorgeous place to walk. Second day, I go up a really steep section of track and then I get to this section looking down and I'm thinking, golly, where am I going to put my feet? It is really steep and sandy. Mm. Before I even take a step... I'm tumbling head over heel. I'd sort of lost my centre of gravity and was tumbling head over heel down this steep track, fell about three or four metres, landed on Mm. my back, and I'm feeling really shaken up. Obviously, my husband races down to see if I'm okay. We go and sit down on some rocks near the creek just to assess, am I able to go on? Because there's still over 20 kilometres to go on this hike. Very limited phone reception And my arm was, my right arm was totally limp. I had pins and needles in two fingers Mm -hmm. and the back of my neck was a bit numb and tingly. But the fact that I could keep walking, like I thought, well, I don't seem to have any broken bones. I think I've done something to my arm, but I thought I was okay to keep going. Not recognising a limp arm is a sign of a spinal injury. Mm. I didn't realise that. Um, Yeah, now at that point, could you have just turned around and went back? I mean, how far in were you? We could have walked back out. That would have been possible or probably phoned for a chopper to get choppered out. Mm -hmm. But from that time forward, we were going to have no phone reception. So um, we made that decision after a couple of, I don't know, about an hour or so, sort of thinking, okay, I seem to be okay. The guys helped carry my pack for some of that day and... Each day went on and it was just getting harder and harder for me. I found I couldn't look down and Mm. my back of my neck was really, really sore. I was actually holding my chin up like like a human brace with my hand Mm. because it was really sore. And I had many other trips and tumbles on this. I think the next day was really hard. It was a day where you had to do 12 kilometres in one day and there's lots of creek beds where you sort of jump from rock to rock dry creek beds with lots of unstable rocks you know when you step on one and it moves and you overbalance oh yeah yeah that had happened a few times and I ended up falling over and landing on my backside and I'm sitting there thinking I can't do this I just can't do this yeah having a bit of a pity party and um I sat there and I thought well what does that mean if I really can't do this everyone else is way ahead of me because I'm just getting slower and slower they'll have to backtrack They'll have to keep walking out to find reception. They'd have to send in some rescue team, stretcher me out, and I'm just thinking, oh, no, that's way too dramatic. Get a grip. And I thought, okay, a verse just came to me, and I thought, I'm going to speak out loud the word of God and believe it. And I just remembered Philippians 4.13, which said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so I stood up and I took one step. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, took another step. So I kept going like that Hmm. for the rest of that day, got to the campsite. 
absolutely exhausted, but, you know, got there. I think the next day was a short walk to the ferry um, and we went back to Cardwell where we were staying overnight because we'd arranged a minibus to take us out the next morning back to Townsville where I live. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the next day I, you know, my neck was really sore and I rang from Cardwell and made an appointment with my GP in Townsville. So saw him, he sent me off to get an X-ray I'm at the x-ray place. I've had my x-ray and I get this phone call on my mobile from my doctor. I'm thinking, oh, my doctor doesn't usually ring me. And he's like, Amanda, where are you? And I'm like, oh, I'm just outside the x-ray place. And he said, you need to go straight to emergency. You have an unstable neck fracture. Don't look down. Don't look sideways. Just go straight there and they'll stabilise it for you. Part of me is thinking, no, that can't be right. Yeah. How's that possible? I've been tripping and falling and all these things. That can't be right. But I, my friends drove me to emergency because I, I wasn't confident to drive. I couldn't turn my head. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. I get to emergency and they're like put this huge, um, you know, like a neck brace around my neck to hold it still. They actually cut me out of my T-shirt. They're not going to move me at all get more scans, MRIs, all this sort of thing. And I realised I've actually got a really serious fracture at C6. So, And between C6 and C7, I've got a squash disc. So they're talking about surgery. Two days later, I have neurosurgeons operating on my spine. I had a spacer put in between C6 and C7 because the disc was totally squashed, titanium plate and screws. And I was also put in a halo brace, which is when they, I don't know if you know those halo braces, they put four screws in your skull to hold a halo thing in place. Mm -hmm. goes down to your waist. I had that on for three and a half months so that my neck would be absolutely unable to move and secure and growing in place around those plates and screws. So all this was happening and... It wasn't so extreme that you thought, oh, we have to get me right to an emergency room. You just thought, oh, I'll, I'll just make an appointment. Uh, yeah. Well, I, I didn't know it was broken. Like I, I thought, yeah, it was really sore. And I'm thinking oh, I might have damaged a disc. I'd never damaged a disc before, so I didn't know what it felt like. Yeah. And the fact that I could still walk, you know, like I was thinking. Yeah, that's amazing. You're still functioning. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what happened in the hospital. Every doctor and nurse I saw would say to me, oh, you're so lucky. You could be paraplegic or quadriplegic or dead. People die from broken necks. Mm -hmm. And I just said really clearly, I don't believe in luck. God must have been protecting me and angels must have been holding my head up with all those stumbles and falls because in the natural, I should be quadriplegic or dead. Mm -hmm. So I just give God all the glory that he protected me and it just told me that my time wasn't up and that God has more for me to do. Mm-hmm. And then finally, how long were you in the hospital? Um, I was only in hospital for a few days. I was in rehab for one day, which is a record for someone in a huh. halo brace. Often often people are in there for months. So, yeah, quite miraculous how quickly I recovered. I had to have, obviously, a lot of physio when I came out of the halo brace to strengthen my neck muscles. And I also needed speech therapy therapy. I had trouble swallowing after surgery because of mm. the swelling. Um, 
but yeah, no, quite a miraculous recovery. I still have pins and needles in two fingers in my right hand, but I'm able to, you know, do computer, piano, anything I want to do. But to me, it's like a daily reminder of the miracle that I'm mm-hmm. alive and walking. Yeah. And then on top of that, you decide to go back and get your PhD after all of this. Is that right? Oh, I'd already started the PhD, but oh, okay. um, this certainly interrupted it for a while. Yeah, yeah <laughs> I can imagine, yeah. Yeah. And, and then you had other challenges regarding getting your PhD. Tell us about that. Yeah, so I'd been at the university in a job there since 2005 at James Cook University in Townsville, and I was studying my PhD part-time as well as a full-time job, raising three kids, And I suffered from quite severe anxiety and depression for a while there. And doing the PhD, because it's it's quite isolating work, you're working on your own with your supervisors, um, there's lots of room for self-doubt and thinking, I can't do it. I'm I'm never going to be good enough. My work's never going to be at the standard it should be. And I think some of the doubts from my childhood with my dyslexia were also playing on my mind, you know, that I wasn't smart enough. You know, I'd always thought of myself as an average student, the one that plods and gets there in the end if you put in enough work. Yeah. So that was quite a, a battle of the mind, if you like. That, um, And again, I just kept thinking of that Bible verse in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And that became my theme, just trying to get my PhD finished. Mm -hmm. But also I found it was incredible having the encouragement of some trusted friends, so some close Christian friends that would just pray with me and people who believe in you made such a difference. And Mm -hmm. their encouragement saying, you can do it, we believe you can do it, you've got this. Um, That just made such a difference. And I did finally get over that line and and got my PhD in 2016. Well, there are so many remarkable things that happened in your life. More of them are in your book. But uh, let's just kind of wrap up our conversation here today. What can we learn from all the experiences that you've been going through? My experiences, I think particularly when I had the broken neck Mm -hmm. and how much God loves me and he must love me because he protected me. I suppose it just shows me that God has that love for all of us because Mm -hmm. I consider I'm not anything special. I'm a wife, I'm a mother, I'm a friend. But that's how much God loves each of his children, Mm -hmm. that he'll protect us, that he answers our prayers, that he's present and that his love for us is current now today. And that God is real, that miracles Mm -hmm. are happening in this day and age now. Mm -hmm. And God is there if we just reach out to him and ask in faith. Amanda Nixon, thank you so much for sharing your remarkable stories with us today. Thank you. A pleasure. You've been listening to Real Faith. And if you have any questions or comments, you can send us a message through our website, realfaith.org.au. That's realfaith.org.au. Real Faith is a production of Vision Christian Media. This program is a production of Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, see vision.org.au.